You're listening to Girls with Grafts, a burn community podcast created by Phoenix Society for Burn Survivors, a leading nonprofit dedicated to supporting the burn community. In this podcast, we'll talk with burn survivors, share resources to help with supporting and improving burn recovery, and discuss how to prevent burn injuries. Here are your hosts, burn survivors and Phoenix Society's marketing team, Amber Wilcox and Rachel Kudlak. Amber Wilcox and Rachel Kudlak. Hello and welcome back to Girls with Graphs. I am Rachel Kudlak. I am one of the hosts of the show and I'm joined today by my lovely co-host Amber Wilcox. I'm so excited to be here today and um, excited for our new guests. So um, I think let's get started and, and meet our, our latest guest on the podcast. Yeah. So before I introduce today's guest, um, I'm just going to give a quick shout out um, to Buses by the Beach. So they are powering today's podcast for us. Buses by the Beach is a group of VW bus lovers based in West Michigan. They camp, host events, and raise funds for Phoenix Society for Burn Survivors. Their first event of 2024 is actually coming up this weekend. It's their Buses Burr event, which if you have been listening for a while, you know Amber and I are too cold to go to that one. Um, yes, but their, <laughs> their main event, <laughs> best benefit, um, is held over Memorial Day weekend every year in Michigan. So if you're local to the area, if you're a VW lover, or if you're up to go on a little trip over the holiday, um, you can learn more by visiting busesbythebeach.org. So without further, sounds like something I want to attend, but not the cold I, one, just the warm event. No, and I told I told Amy last time we were on, I was like, this sounds like an event I want to attend because I love buses, VW buses specifically, but I don't have a bus. So um, <laughs> but I guess you're still invited, even if you don't yes. have a bus. So yes, they're going to a new location this year, I'm pretty sure. So they'll have more camping space. So even if you don't have a bus. Um, are okay with camping out, I think you'll be able to to attend. Yeah. So be sure to be check that out. Trekking my way up to cold <laughs> Michigan from here from Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Well, without further ado, I do want to introduce today's guest. So today we have on, uh, hold on, I practiced her name and I want to make sure I say her last name correctly because <laughs> we talked about it before. Michelle S. Camellia. I think I did that pretty close. She'll correct me when she comes on. Um, but she joins <laughs> us today to share about her life, including being a burn survivor, a spouse and friend, an advocate for self-love, and as someone who pushes through life's adversities and, and uncertainties. Through her, one of her own identities, um, including being a burn survivor, she describes living a life beyond just surviving. Michelle dedicates her life to serving the community in a variety of roles and most recently has begun podcasting to share her story and experience with others. So thank you so much uh, for joining us today, Michelle. Of course. Thank you so much for that. I'm so excited to be here and I am ready for today's conversation. Absolutely. Well, welcome to the world of podcasting with us as well. It's a fun place to be, right? Um, but uh, Michelle, before we dive into some questions, um, I know I'm not super familiar, but also I think our listeners would be interested to learn a little bit more about yourself and um, your burn survivor journey, if you're open to sharing that with us today. Of course. Um, so I have been part of this community and a burn survivor for over 20 years. Um, my family and I were in a car accident many years ago. I was in middle school when that happened. And um, thankfully, everybody survived. But of course, everyone came out of it with, you know, not being the same. We all had suffered some type of injury. And at the time, it was my parents, my brother and myself. And so as being younger kids and being, you know, in the back of the car, my brother and I were impacted more deeply than my parents were. So fast forward um, a little bit of that time, we were in the hospital for almost four months where, you know, I had scars head to toe. Um, it was something like 60 degree or 60% third degree burns. So all over. And, you know, I think in the moment, especially being so young, you have no idea what to expect. You have no idea what you're getting yourself into. I mean, it's not like I did this by choice, right? So um, having been through that certainly opened my eyes. And I'm very grateful that throughout that time of recovery, because as you 
well know that there are different stages of recovery. There's the immediate trauma, but then there's, you know, what's that aftercare like? What's it like to be a teenager with an injury? What's it like to be a young adult? What's it like to be a professional? And then um, in, a, in relationships and all of these different types of roles that we play. So um, there's certainly things, as I kind of said, kind of says in my bio, you know, learning resilience, learning how to live in uncertainty, um, finding ways to be comfortable when things are kind of uncomfortable. Um, and so that's kind of what's what has led me to where I am today. And you know, throughout this entire time, I'm so grateful that um, I feel like I have understood that I have this calling to give back to the community. And, you know, also something I've realized is that I have met many people, whether with Phoenix Society or with other communities um, that are burn survivors and have physical external scars and how challenging that can be. And also I've met people who perhaps are either part of the burn community or just have other types of trauma who maybe have internal scars and struggle just as much with, you know, self-love, acceptance, confidence, being in relationships. And so I think that's something that I have found to relate to other people is that we all struggle with different things. And I think that one of my greatest strengths is that is trying to sit with the uncomfortable, even if it feels weird and all that kind of stuff. But there's so much strength and power in um, in sharing that and being open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, ex- reiterating what you just said, I mean, everyone has struggles, we all have different challenges and adversities. Um, for burn survivors, for you know, burn survivors with visible scars, we just have to wear them on the outside. We can't cover them up as easily as some other folks can. Um, but thank you for sharing your journey with us and your your story. Um, you know, I actually didn't, I knew a little bit about your story before the podcast, but I didn't realize that your whole family was involved in that accident. So what was that like, I guess, even just growing up as a burn survivor, but then also your brother was a burn, like your whole family was a part of this, but I'm sure you each all had your different challenges, um, you know, through the healing process. No, of course. No, I, um, you know, it's not, I don't want to say it's common um, for everyone to be impacted to this type of degree. And although it was really challenging because we all at some point were um, hospitalized and, you know, some of us had to have procedures and others just had you know, different types of recovery. I think that there's there were so many layers to this. So my first thought in your question is um, not only were we all impacted, but we also, you know, are um, people who come from a different cultural background. So in Latino culture, generally, um, looks are huge. You know, um, uh, types of bodies is something that people really idolize. And then, um, you know, just all of these different layers that kind of played into our recovery. And so I think that uh, one of the gifts that I've taken away from it, if looking back now, is that I'm able to sympathize and see from a different perspective. So not only did I see it from the survivor's perspective, I've seen it from the sibling's perspective. I've seen it, you know, I hear my parents talk about how hard it was for them throughout our initial recovery, you know, talking about how do I uh, divide my time between work and between having to go to the physical therapist or a potential upcoming surgery and all of that stuff and how it impacted their relationship and also um, their identity as a a parent, as an adult, where one of my parents was able to return to work and, you know, kind of became the breadwinner. And the other one, my mom, she knew that in that moment, her role was to stop working at the time and then get back, get to our recovery to make sure that we did do our stretches and did wear our pressure garments and all that kind of stuff. So I think um, it's been, it has been eye-opening to hear their perspectives. And also I think there are times when it can be challenging because, you know, my parents would say how, how there were times that they felt guilty, that parent guilt that they Mm -hmm. felt like they couldn't do anything to help us besides just be there for us. And so as a, as a child, that's hard to hear because you never want your parent to feel bad about something that's out of their control. 
Um, but I think that going through something together has allowed us to have space to have these conversations. And I think that's one of the things that has really driven us um, is to have that open space. And I also will say that, you know, a big part of my family's identity and my identity is um, the way that we've been connected to the community. And in particular for us, it was our, um, our church community. So just having a place where we felt like um, we could share and be open and have that thing that anchored us throughout those difficult times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's so, you know, unique in a sense because your parents had to be the caregiver, but then also take care of themselves, which is something we tell all caregivers and parents and spouses and partners and things like that. But, you know, even more so because they have to care for themselves and their own injuries and going back to work, but then also taking care of your children and their physical recovery and their emotional recovery. And, you know, I can't imagine, you know, for your parents, what that was like, just having so much on your plate. I feel like for my parents, just me being the only person injured was already so much to take on. I can only imagine that being something that the whole family was really, really deeply involved in. So thank you for sharing that. Of course. No, I think, you know, to add on to what you're saying, one of the things that I look back at and I reflect on is, um, again, like I said, this open space that we had created. Um, And I remember I wasn't, so when our injury happened, I was in the fifth grade. I was going into sixth grade. So again, middle Mm -hmm. school. And I remember that whenever my mom would share our story at the time, she kind of was the one who, you know, led that and, and sharing with other people, she would always say that some of the questions she would ask herself is like, will my daughter graduate? Like these, the common questions that she would have, um, which I look back at now and I'm like, of course I would like, that's a (laughs) given, but it was naturally a, a worry of hers. You know, she's, she would say, will she graduate? Will she, you know, um, date? Will she be dating people? Will she get married? Will she have kids? Will she become a professional? Will she have a career? All of these questions that I think are very natural and are very valid um, because there's so much uncertainty that you face um, when you go mm-hmm. through a deep injury. But um, we certainly can just say how how grateful we are to, to be where we are now, um, recognizing that it hasn't always been an uphill, you know, climb, that there's moments when you feel like you're kind of all over the place. Um, but that's part of life. And it's brought us to where we are today. And, you know, when people ask you, if you could go back, would you change things? My answer genuinely is no, I don't think so, because I am who I am today because of all the things that I've been through and I've learned so much and I've gained so much. Yes. There were moments that we have to grieve of, you know, as a preteen understanding what is beauty, understanding what is what you used to look like versus what you look like now. My body, like I said, was impacted fully. So my face all over my face, I have scars, there's amputations, like everything, you name it, had to tell a little bit of everything. Um, So there was a grieving process. But then now coming to understand that all of these experiences have made me to be beautiful as who I am now and accepting that and, you know, lifting myself up and others um, to do the same. That's awesome. Well, Michelle, it seems like we all got the memo today that it's Valentine <laughs> or tomorrow's Valentine's Day. Um, and so we're all in that pink uh, variation. So in the spirit, I know we <laughs> I didn't even know it, but. Uh, we're all matching today on that. It's not on purpose to anyone listening. Um, but in the spirit of love um, in all things Valentine's Day, we'd love for you to share with us a little bit more about your journey to self-love. Um, and that might look different for everyone. So if you don't mind maybe walking us through, um, it sounds like from what you just said to me that your injury is at a really critical time in your life, right? Like you're getting, or you're in middle school or going to middle school. Like that's a really tough, I think about my middle school journey, not as a burn survivor. And then I think of what it probably was like for you in the beginning and kind of how you've evolved. Um, so if you want to talk to us a little bit about that, I think, um, that'd be helpful to to kind of understand and learn more about. No, of course. Thank you for that space and that opportunity to talk about that. I think that, man, oh man, this is something that we all to some degree have experienced and maybe struggle with. Like think about the time that you went, the last time you went to, you know, the mall or a store and you saw something on the mannequin and you said, that looks great on them. 
but I don't know how that would look on me. And I share that silly example because I think that's a lot of times where that starts is how we think and what we say about ourselves. And so, um, you know, when we went through our injury and again, like being so young, I was trying to find a way to fit in. And I feel like most people in middle school, you're trying to find out your identity. Like, who are you? And what do you stand for? What do you love? What do you not love? And asking yourself all of these questions that we do kind of in that pre-teenage, teenage time. So I think, I think that because I was so young, kind of on that curve line um, of finding my identity, I didn't, I hadn't really fully formed who I was as a teen. I'm sure if my injury would have happened maybe later in my teenage years, it maybe would have been harder. But this to say that, you know, confidence and self-love and all of these things, it's a muscle. It's a muscle that we have to practice. It's not like I, you know, I wake up every morning and say, ha ha, my barometer is at 100% and I love myself to the, you know, umpteenth degree. It's not, it's not quite like that. Um, but it's about, you know, constantly encouraging yourself, constantly um, just saying positive things or affirmations to yourself. So I, for me, the journey is rooted in that. If, if people were to kind of ask, like, what's the formula? First of all, there's no like A plus B equals C formula. <laughs> but I think one of the things that's really helped me is to start with my own language. Hmm. So I can tell you times that as a teenager, I would go to the store and perhaps look at something like I was just sharing at the top of this example and say, uh, it looks great on her, but not on me. And throughout my journey, whether it was my parents, whether it was my community, whether it was, like I said, for me, my faith was this constant reminder externally of these affirmations. You know what? People might not understand, but that's okay. This is something that my parents would always say to me. And again, was affirmed through these other venues. People might not be okay with how you look or how you present yourself in this world, but that is okay. We are here for you. We know your journey. They probably are just curious and have no other way of expressing curiosity but than to gawk or stare or ask questions. But know that you are valuable. And these are constant. So again, externally, I'm hearing these things to the point where I'm like, let's just try. Let's just try to start having this language. So when I did see that mannequin, of the mini skirt because I have scars on my legs or the crop top or the, you know, no sleeves, I would tell myself, why not? Why not try it? And at first, perhaps I felt uncomfortable in the change room, but then I would say, no, you are valuable and beautiful. So why not? Mm -hmm. Now, as an adult, I'm sure the two of you know, and people who are listening, that voice tends to get a bit more critical the older mm -hmm. that we get. It's like, oh, I could never wear these crop tops <laughs> that are out there because of whatever, for whatever reasons. Um, but I think that, again, like I said, it's a muscle. This, this idea mm. of self-love and confidence um, starts that way. It starts mm. by repeating this until at some point you gain that power and say, yes, I am beautiful. Not everything is going to fit me and that's okay, but mm. I'm not going to limit myself. I'm not going to stop living. I'm not going to um, hide simply because in this moment, I feel uncomfortable. So again, coming back to just a theme in my life is being okay, being a little bit okay with being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, you know, I think for me, I'm sorry, just, I wanted okay. to just say, um, I think for me and to kind of go into dating, I think that was the stepping stone was mm -hmm. first being okay with myself to then be able to, you know, meet other people. I think that's important. I think it's also important, like you said, to start using that language early on. Um, it's funny because my husband and I are already having this conversation, right, about my son. Like we just we just had a son and we're like, I, I'm like, I want him to grow up confident in himself, right? And I think that starts with the language you use early on, right, of like, and so it's really hard as a parent now to think like, oh my gosh, yes, I have to be uber conscious of the way I say things um, because I want him to love himself for who he is no matter what, right? And it's really hard when we have that negative self-talk to continue to kind of put that in our, you know, or, or if our parents are saying things that are making us critical, like 
maybe not intentionally, right? But these are all things that you think about when we talk about self-love. Like, and I think for a burn survivor, it's even harder, right? Because you're surrounded by people that are talking negative about, right? Or like, or saying things that maybe they don't mean, but to you, it, it can be harmful. So um, I would, I guess, encourage the parents out there, especially for those with burn survivors, I think like to continue to use, like you said, that body positive language on others, because sometimes it's subtle. And I think we don't always register like what we're saying or how we're saying it. Um, but I do think that what we hear others say probably impacts that quite a bit. I, I'm, I'm sure you can relate, Michelle. No, you know, you hit on such a great point, Amber. I think not only is this about physical beauty, but I think about sometimes how we talk about ourselves. So um, part of my journey has led me to working with, you know, families and parents and um, other individuals. And when you're talking about parenting in particular, I think about how many times we uh, naturally do things without really speaking them out loud. And so as a, as a child, you only are able to see what the parents do. We're not hearing their inner dialogue. And the example that I kind of want to share is, you know, I'm thinking about a time when um, especially as a child, you think that failure is a bad thing. You know, mm -hmm. I, I messed this up. I'm, I must be bad. This is the, mm -hmm. the thinking that we often get. And so something that I would tell people and parents is, you know, let's say we spill something in the kitchen or we drop something. And instead of saying like, oh, like that was so dumb of me or I'm so clumsy or whatever. It's about externally saying these things to model this behavior. Mm -hmm. Oh, it fell. These things happen. We're going to tidy it up and it's okay mm -hmm. because, you know, it was an accident or mm -hmm. whatever. And so even just our thinking, is, you know, our, our image, yes, of course. And also um, removing this language of, you know, I am bad. I am not good. I'm not worthy, which again comes with um, just modeling that in there every day. Yeah. Well, cause they absorb everything, right? They mm -hmm. absorb everything we do. And so naturally if we're saying things negatively about ourselves, um, that's going to also impact the, the absorption of our children. Right. And so I think you're right. Like if you see your parents doing those things, especially as a survivor, um, that, that can reflect right back on, on you and how you talk about yourself too. So I think that's a great point. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and not just even parents too, you know, as adults, just surrounding yourself with folks who do build your Other confidence and yeah, who, you know, if your friend group isn't supportive of you, it may be time to reevaluate, you know, who's mm -hmm. boosting you up and building your confidence and building, building you up. I mean, um, so that's another thing to consider too. You know, if you're struggling with, you know, finding that confidence and self-love and you need support, you know, your friends or fam and family are there to help support you. Yeah, and I think you bring up a great point too because in the spirit of Valentine's Day, if the person you love is not supporting who you are, right? No matter what size, shape, what you look like, I think that's also time to reevaluate your life choices, right? I think that's, um, we've all been in maybe relationships that were not too, happy with. And um, I think reevaluating that, especially on Valentine's Day, right? It was like, if they're not supporting me and, um, and loving me for who I am, how can I, you know, continue mm -hmm. on in this relationship? So I think that's a, a great point, Rachel. No, certainly. I think, you know, there's, um, there's tools that we can use to do this. So I think about how um, if you like, to your point, Amber, if you feel like there is, you're in this relationship and it's probably just not healthy for you, it could be hard to self-analyze that within yourself and say like, oh, this is an unhealthy relationship for me. So, you know, there's this invitation to find people in your community that you feel like you could be safe and vulnerable with who will give you a, you know, um, an opinion that is not swayed. So if you feel like, you know, you have a best friend who's, who's there for you, but might talk badly, it's important for you to find someone who is in this middle ground who can tell you truth, but with grace, with kindness, um, ultimately, you know, looking out for the interest of, of just self-improvement and growth. Mm -hmm. Well, and you brought up dating a little. Um, and I know, you know, again, in spirit of Valentine's Day and love. Um, and I also know because I follow you, Michelle, on Instagram, but that you got married not that too long ago, I think like maybe two years ago. Um so if you're comfortable with sharing, can you just hawk us through a little bit more of like how building your own self-love was such a major step in finding that a romantic partner? Because that's just a topic that 
comes up so often in our community is getting back out there after a burn injury and not even in the dating aspect too, just in social situations as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. You know, there, I feel like there's so much um, anxiety that comes with putting ourselves out there. there. There's so much that we can be fixated on when the reality is that it's likely that even if they do not, other people do not have injuries, physical injuries, they likely are struggling with similar anxieties. Will they like Mm. me? Will they not like me? Am I funny? Am I not funny enough? Like there's so many things that just naturally we struggle with in our minds. And so I understand how hard it can be um, when we quote unquote, add an extra layer to all of our worries. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's important to, to say that it's very valid. It's a valid fear or worry that we have of, will I be accepted? Will yep. they like me? So, you know, one, I want to start by saying completely valid and understand that. And then, you know, the next piece of that I really do think is working on yourself internally. So um, I want to share with you a little bit about my story with my husband. So we have been together uh, going on now 11 years dating and married. We've been married now for, I think, going on four years. So we talked about it. I guess my math was wrong. Sorry about that. (laughs) No, no. Okay, it's okay. But um, we we had the same conversation recently. We looked at each other and we're like, have we been together that long? Oh my <laughs> my um, husband and I have that conversation quite often. Like, wow, this has been a really long time and it seems like it's gone by super fast. So yes, I understand. You know, totally. And so, you know, before meeting him, um, I was on this journey of finding um, the way to just love myself. I think that that was huge in my process so that when that person came, when my husband came around and, you know, we met and all those things, I had done a lot of work within myself to know that, you know, I was, I had value, that I was someone who was special, that I was someone who, you know, brought all these talents and and had all these quirks and qualities. And yes, she's a burn survivor. And also she has all these other really great qualities. So I think, um, you know, during that process of self-discovery, I think that a huge part of that, again, was really cementing who I surrounded myself with. What was the language I used about myself? What was the language I used about others? Um, in In Latino culture and in a bunch of different cultures I'm aware of too, we tend to describe people by certain attributes. Maybe we have someone who is a friend who is more curvy. And so in our culture, we would say, you know, Michelle, who looks like this, Uh, whoever that looks like that. And we tend to define ourselves with that language. And I am constantly still working on that to say, you know, I want to be defined not only as a survivor, but with all these other beautiful qualities. And so I will also work to work on my language as how I describe and see my world. So I think that for me, that was huge. It was really like putting these blocks in place so that when I met people, when I would go out, you know, whether it was on dates or just meeting people to meet people, the conversation was if I ever dreaded the moment of like, oh God, I need to tell them that, you know, this is why I have scars and all these things, I would before having that conversation, say to myself, okay, you let's identify this. You feel a little anxious that they're going to know that they're going to feel uncomfortable with you and your scars. It's okay. Like what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is they say, you know what? Maybe not for me, but maybe also the other thing that could happen is that they would say, oh yeah, I saw that, but it's not a big deal. So let's just try. Let's just be okay with being a little uncomfortable. Have fun. Like, don't make it such a serious topic. Um, and also that, just work on your other qualities too. Like you have so much to give, girl. Like, why are you freaking out? But having that internal language with myself versus, oh, if they know, they will not want to talk to me. They're going to tell the whole town. They're going to make all these hate pages. Who knows? Who knows? All the what ifs that in reality are only that. They are the what ifs. So again, just um, it's not about, oh, she was so courageous and she just didn't care. It's Mm -hmm. not that. I can assure you it was just 
the fact that I would say, okay, you know what, I'm going to take a chance and be true to who I am and hope that it works out. And if it doesn't, coming back to, like I said, what I've been told and affirming myself, that's okay too. It's okay. So we talk a lot about that language, right? <clears throat> of reframing how you're thinking. Um, and I find it interesting when you talk about Latina culture of, of this is how, you know, my culture frames things. <clears throat> how do you stop yourself, right? Or, or what do you say to yourself to stop or maybe correct yourself because um, I think reframing your thinking can be really hard and it can take some time. Um, but what are some tools, I guess, that you use to like reframe that language, right? So instead of saying Michelle, the girl with brown hair or however it is you say it, how do you stop that? And, and what are some tools you use to, I guess, help reframe some of that language? Yeah, um, it's it's hard. It's challenging because there are systems in place that we're just, we use as a default. I mean, I'm sure it's not just Latino culture that experiences this. Mm -hmm. And I think particularly in older generations, it was more acceptable. I yep. think about people now, you know, whether millennials or Gen Z's or, or of other generations that we just, there's way more fluid in, mm -hmm. you know, their thinking, more open. And so I think tools that I use is really, um, first of all, just having a lot of grace because, mm -hmm. You know, not everyone thinks the way that I think. And it's looking for other things that I could describe someone that doesn't necessarily come with either a negative connotation or this like um, stigma. So, mm -hmm. you know, I can think about this even in, you know, the burn community or or even in the, the world of disabilities, like, oh, the person mm -hmm. in the wheelchair, oh, the yep. person, whatever. And it's like, they're so much more than that. Mm -hmm. um, it's about, you know, learning who they are. What are their interests? Oh, you remember that? I told you that they do rock climbing and how cool that is. Um, it, it's even just how you present it. And coming back to kind of what we're talking about is like, how do you frame these things? Mm -hmm. Is, you know, um, when dating, do we come at it with this like really heavy mentality of, of you know, um, are they going to like me or are they not going to like me? It's more about, you know, being more lighthearted and having fun with it and just leaning into that instead of it being so like so extreme and so grave. I do want to touch to we did have a, a great conversation with the girls at Datability um, in a previous season. Uh, Rachel, I don't know if you remember. our. our it might have been. Blog. At the end of season two, I'll make sure we have a link to it. Um, yeah, we'll link to it in this podcast. But I remember too, like, it can be really difficult, like you said, Michelle, to, especially with a disability, right, to not have to, like, I don't want to have to put on my profile, right? I'm in a wheelchair. Like, if you're not ready to commit to that, like, so those are things that I think the Datability app did really well, right, of like, accepting, like, you're on here knowing that there are different challenges that uh, may be faced, right? And so I really loved what the girls at Datability had to share with us too. So if you haven't listened to that episode, there's a little call out to, you know, there are apps and things out there too. If you're looking to meet someone, I think that just with that, you know, not having to worry about like Michelle, you were talking about, oh, do I have to bring that up on the first date? Can I, or do I have to bring it up really even before the first date happens? So those are things mm -hmm. I think that um, we probably all think about, especially as survivors that, you know, hey, can is there something out there or tool that I can use to not have to have that anxiety before I go into those conversations? No, totally. You know, when thinking about anxiety and coming kind of back to the story of my husband and I, we had been dating for a few weeks. It was the beginning of our relationship. Um, and I remember having this thought, having the thought of like, he hasn't asked me anything yet and I haven't said anything yet. Hmm. <laughs> and, and the anxiety would build, the anxiety would start to build of like, okay, like when should I bring this up? How should when I bring this up? When is he going to say something finally, right? What? Cause I also have those conversations. I was like, do you noticed, right? Like, what are you going to ask me? Right. <laughs> Cause I have exactly. those thoughts with exactly. friends, Never mind someone I'm dating. So exactly, exactly that, you know, those were worries. They were true worries that I had. What is he going to say? What if we take this relationship further and we decide to be intimate and like, what is he going to say? And I start or making things, this, mo right? this monster yeah. bigger and bigger. Um, and so I remember, you know, in those first weeks, like I said, um, we were, you know, hanging out and it was just, it was just like bubbling inside of me. So I decided, you know what, Michelle, gain the courage. <laughs> 
and ask an uncomfortable question. And so I remember I asked him and I said it exactly like this. I said, hey, um, why have you never asked me anything? And he kind of just looked at me very confused and said, like, about what? And he's and I said, you know, about me. And um, he continued in confusion. And he's like, I don't know what you mean. So then I was like, okay, I need to spell this out for him. So I was like, you know, like I'm a burn survivor and I have all these scars and I'm sure like that's different. And his response was just, it was so beautiful. And it just took, it um, surprised me a little bit because he said, you know, I don't, that's not the first thing that I noticed. Like there's so many beautiful things about you that like I hadn't even mm. put attention to it. And so I was confused by his response, but then I thought about the fact that because that's how I see myself. Mm -hmm. I see myself like that. Yes, I have these scars and all that stuff. And I also have other things mm -hmm. that I think are beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so at, at first, after my initial confusion and like what is happening, I sat with that and I said, why do you think that he responded in the way that he did? perhaps it's because that's how you see yourself too. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, as our relationship continued and it evolved and, you know, we got married and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. In, in terms of like intimacy, the same thing, it was about I, what's he going to think, what's going to happen. And then just coming to that place of like, you know what, have fun, have mm -hmm. fun, be okay with being a little uncomfortable and know that the way that you see yourself is likely how he will interpret it too. Like behavior is a language. This is something that I say all the time. Behavior is a language. And if we are already coming into something with this behavior where we're anxious and it's you can see it, it's clear, um, people will absorb that. And mm -hmm. so let's name it. You know, if, if truly we're uncomfortable just to say like, hey, I'm feeling kind of like a little nervous, but you know what? Like, it's okay. It's mm -hmm. okay. And having mm -hmm. those conversations. And I had my husband uh, part of my life during my injury, right? So for me, it's really hard when he says today, like, I forget you have scars. I'm like, what do you mean you forget? Like, I see them every day. How do you forget? But I, I also understand to your degree, Michelle, of like, it, that's not all that person sees. So I think it's it's helpful to also remind yourself of that. And I sometimes forget about that too, of like, that's all I see all day, every day but that doesn't mean that that's what that person sees every day. You know what I mean? Like that person may see something different. And so I think you bring up a good point too of, of remembering, yes, it's how you see yourself, but it's also reminding yourself that not everyone just stares at your scars, right? Some people may be curious, but then, okay, we can move on. So I think that's also an important thing to remember is they see you very differently maybe than you see yourself. And so mm -hmm. that can also be a positive thing too, right? Like what the way I look may not be, um, what everyone cares about, right? Like, it's not what everyone cares about. They care about who I am. And and so while there are some folks out there that have negative kind of thoughts, um, not everyone's like that. Yeah. And that's a, and that's a battle within itself, you know, kind of how we started this conversation of that self-talk. Listen, I could tell you many times I've been to the store or just out on the street and I will have someone look at me and I have the choice to say like, yeah. cause I don't know what they're thinking. For all you know, they are curious and they have no other way of, of, you know, showing it. Or sometimes I tell myself, you know, just to kind of like feel a bit better. I'm like, maybe they just love your jacket. Maybe they, <laughs> maybe, or maybe they know, they know someone who's been burned. And I know how many times I've looked at someone and said, oh my gosh, they can't see my scars right now. But if they only knew, I know what they've been through. Right. And like, so there's, exactly. there's, there's times I think we we think that it's always going to be negative, but maybe it's not, right? Like, what if you ask yourself, maybe there's something else, right? Like, like you said, maybe it's my jacket or something else. That. Out there. I love that yeah. example. You know, I can think of one example that is about that, that just I still think about, even if though it happened years ago. It was middle of August, boiling hot. You know, I'm wearing my little biker shorts and a t-shirt and I'm, you know, doing my groceries, running my errands. So um, I'm at the store and I'm, you know, doing my typical weekly groceries. And there was this lady who, from the moment I walked in, her eyes were so focused on me. And so what I try to do in practice is, okay, I see her, I smile, and then I go about my, my time and my day. So I, you know, head down to the first aisle. And lo and behold, I meet her in the first aisle. 
So we like, okay, you know, it's the thought I'm like, uh, do I want to do this today? Do I want to have this conversation or do I just want to ignore it? Okay. You know what, Michelle, just ignore it. Just smile and do your thing. Mm-hmm. She, she continues to look at me as we cross paths down the aisle. At this point, I'm like, okay, it's fine. We go down without kidding you both. The next two, three aisles, we keep running into each other. And you could tell that she just, like, her eyes, like, wanted to talk to me or see me. But by this point, I had lost my grace and I had lost my patience. And I was like, I don't know, like, do I want to start giving looks? I don't, you know, the things that you start thinking. Because my self-talk was saying, like, okay, she's staring at you. Like, she's not leaving you alone. So I'm already kind of in a mood. But I'm trying to, you know, again, work with my self-talk. And I said, I'm going to go to this cashier register because this lane, because there's no one here. And guess who goes behind me? (laughs) It's this lady. So by this point, I'm like, you know what? Let's just have a conversation. Let's give her the very short spiel. And I will go to at peace about it. So I turned and I looked at her and I said, hi, how are you? Oh, good. And then she looked at me and with tears in her eyes, she said to me, I just could not stop watching you because I have a daughter who was injured and she is so afraid of going outside with in this weather in a t-shirt and shorts and how I wish that she could see you to see Mm -hmm. that there's hope that it's okay like you can still Mm -hmm. live your life and so she said that to me And I'm telling you, I was like, wow, oh, wow. I had created this whole narrative that this woman was trying to track me down. But the truth was she was so inspired Mm. just by having a conversation with me. And so now that I look back at that, I think to myself, the power of our words and of our thoughts, because Mm. I had already created this story, Mm -hmm. but the Mm. truth was something else. So, you know, it's just, it was amazing to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the... I can relate to that story so much because the same things have happened. Like you, you think people are staring and your mind kind of automatically goes to like this negative side when, you know, one, a lot of people may have never even seen a brain survivor before. So maybe you, they're staring because they're curious and not because of they are wondering what's wrong with you or do they have a disease? That's kind of where my mind always goes. I'm like, well, I wonder what people actually think my scars are. Like, where do they think they came from? Right. Um, and so, it, I mean, that just, you know, if you feel comfortable and want to approach someone, you know, I encourage folks to do that because look, you, you inspired someone and she probably went home and told her daughter all about this. And it's probably like, you have to come to the store with me now every single time I'm going to go. Cause we need to run back into Michelle. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, so true. You know, and the thing that I'm reminded of is to your point, Rachel is um, someone may have never seen a burn survivor before. And the thing that I'm always reminded of is, and this might be the only time they see a burn survivor. So you have an opportunity, not necessarily, you know, because I think that a lot of times you there's a people feel a sense of responsibility, like, oh, I need mm-hmm. to whatever. It's not about that. It's not about that. You don't even have to say anything most times, but it's about, you know, just taking that deep breath and, and having that understanding that like people are often curious. Sadly, with their, you know, we don't have other ways of expressing it for certain people. Um, but to just understand that even a smile goes a long way. Mm-hmm, definitely. And I mean, who knows, like if you, let's say you would have lashed out on her, on her in aisle three and she could have went home crying and been like, wow, like this is the experience that I have. And I mean, granted, she did have a daughter with a injury, but you know, you could give someone the negative. I mean, this is another topic, but we talk about the media representations of survivors all the time and how villains are all, are normally the characters that have burn scars. And there's really never heroes that represent our community. So that's a whole nother topic. We don't have to go down it, but just a good example of, you know, we can be the positive representation in mm-hmm. our own communities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, 
Michelle, I know we are coming up on time and you've been providing so many, you know, great stories and tips for our communities, but I did want to switch gears just a little because I do know you host two podcasts, I believe, but now, yeah. you know, I said you were married for two years and it's been four. So I don't, maybe you have four podcasts. I don't know. <laughs> the math is mathing. The math is mathing. I'm not good at math. I'm good at girl math and that's about it. Um, but that's two. Um, that's two. Yeah. I wanted um, you to share a little bit more about your your two podcasts. I know the one is survivor focused, so I'm sure our community would love to take a listen as well. Of course. No, thank you for offering that space to talk a little bit about them. So yes, I have two podcasts um, that are very different in and of themselves. So I do have this first one called More Than a Survivor, where myself and my co-host, John Westhaver, we are two people that really just kind of sat down one day and started having this conversation of, you know, we want to live our lives beyond just that, just this idea of surviving. And although a lot of our um, guests so far have been burn survivors, you know, we want to have conversations with people who have been through many types of experiences to discuss um, life's ups and downs and everything in between. So it's a super exciting project that we have going on. Um, where we just talk about, you know, what it's like when we've had an injury and then what was it like when we've decided to start thriving in our different roles? So that's the first podcast. And then the other one that I have is called the Make Believes Podcast, which is a totally different end of the <laughs> spectrum, which kind of is what the title says. It's about everything and nothing at the same time. And I co-host that with my lovely um, chosen sister, Leslie Valladares, where we are two girls who talk about fun things. We talk about, you know, people's experiences and what kind of went wrong or what was really great. Laugh at silly different things and have fun topics like fashion, skincare, wellness. And if you want to just hang out with two really cool people for, you know, like 20, 25 minutes, an invitation to check it out. I'm definitely going to have to listen because that sounds right up my alley. <laughs> absolutely absolutely well uh michelle uh before we close out here um i do want to ask you a little bit more about how you're involved in your community i know you are a sore volunteer um so um but you know how can we keep up with you and um a little bit more about you and your community of course so um for anyone who's curious and just wants to follow my journey my instagram is Michelle Escavala, which is part of my two last names, Escamilla and Valladares. We can share that information later. Um, but the ways that I'm active in my community, you know, I recently moved here to California and I am at a place now that we've kind of settled a little bit and are ready to uh, take part in different avenues. So whether it is, you know, with our local community, um, I'm also becoming involved more and more with the burn community here in California. Um, I love having these types of conversations. I look forward to, you know, speaking and sharing either with different groups, different generations, because like I've said, I feel like throughout the common thread throughout this whole conversation is that um, this topic of self-care and confidence is for everyone. This is something, it's not like you just check a box, I'm done. No, this is something that constantly will be evolving and is a muscle that we have to practice. So, um, you know, there's so much coming in for 2024 and you'll all need to stay tuned to see, uh, to see what goes on. It's amazing. Awesome. awesome. Um, well, Amber, do you want to quickly, um, introduce our last two questions? We did get two yeah. new questions, uh, for season four. So I'm excited to ask you these. Yeah. So our first question for you, what is something that you want caregivers and, and loved ones of survivors to know? I know we've talked a lot about self, self-love today, but I think it's also important to know, um, you know, with the perspective of you were kind of both, right? You're a survivor, but you also are the loved one of a survivor as well. So can you share with us um, maybe something, a quick tip or, or something that you want um, others that have supported burn survivors to know? Of course. Um, I would say that uh, going through this journey alone is so hard. And it's, you know, it's, it's not that the burden is lifted, but it's a lot lighter when we, when we go through life in community. So, you know, I, I think the one thing I, I hope that people take away is that is to be in community. Um, and if you feel like you don't have that, 
this is a space for that. This is a space to, you know, have these conversations. And I invite you to think about who is, you know, one or two people that I could share these experiences with. And my, my, I don't want to call it tip, but the thing that I want to share with people is you don't have to do this alone. And it's so much harder um, to do that, you know, when we don't have support. So mm. be in community, share your heart with others and know that when we walk together, it, the, the burden is a lot lighter. Speaking of community, Rachel, I think it's important that we acknowledge, you know, the community options available at Phoenix Society. So um, we have some support groups. We have some support chats. Um, and Rachel, uh, there's a Spanish speaking community uh, coming very soon as well, correct? Yes. Yeah, so right now we do have um, a Facebook group. So we have a Facebook page, but we also have a group, um, you know, for survivors and caregivers. It's if you're into Reddit, it's very similar to that or other groups that you may be a part of, um, you know, asking questions, getting connected with one another. Um, so I'm really excited because um, Lily on our Phoenix Society team, she is fluent in Spanish and will be helping out with that Spanish speaking group. So um, that's coming very, very soon, if not already. Um, so be sure to check that out or stay connected with us if you're interested in that and really hope we can grow that community together. So it's also a great place, you know, if you have questions about getting back out there or dating or want advice from other survivors and caregivers, it's a great place just to ask away and it's a safe space to feel vulnerable in too. So um, we'll make sure we have that linked below as well. So, um, but without further ado, our final question, it is our Phoenix partner question, which today is sponsored by Buses by the Beach, a group of VW van lovers who raise money for Phoenix Society is, what is one thing that always brings a smile to your face, no matter how tough your day has been? Oh, um, it would have to, oh my gosh, I love that question. It would have to be my, my dog. <laughs> you know, I think that, right? Um, I know, I know. I mean, puppies was the first thing that came to my mind, but mm -hmm. in my day to day, um, it's, um, it's having, you know, someone who's wagging their tail as I come in the door, um, has been just such a joy, has brought us such joy. Um, but the other thing that I would say also is music. I think that there's such power in music. I can tell you during the pandemic, man, oh man, did I have a lot of self dance parties um, that can just bring up your mood mm -hmm. no matter, no matter where you are. Music has the power to, you know, transform us or take us to different eras and seasons. So there's certainly some magic when it comes to music. I love, I love both of those. And I was also mm -hmm. thinking my dog. I mean, when in <laughs> doubt, get a dog or a cat, people. They'll change your lives. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, Michelle, it has been truly a pleasure to get to know you on today's podcast. And uh, we'll be sure to, yeah, get those show notes in there to how folks can stay connected with you as well. So thanks again and happy Valentine's Day to everyone. Thanks, everyone. Okay. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Girls with Crafts. If you are enjoying this content, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.